Two Blokes Talking Tech is supported by Dropbox, trusted by 8 million Australians to keep their files safe, synced and easy to share with anyone. Try Dropbox for business for free for 30 days at dropbox.com slash business. Hosting for Two Blokes Talking Tech, proudly provided by Web Central. For two blokes talking tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. For the latest news and information about technology. It's fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two blokes talking tech. Very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from yourtechlife.com. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two blokes talking tech. Stephen and Trevor always providing the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. And thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading episode 231 this week. Uh, Two Blokes. My name's Trevor Long. Joining me each and every week is Stephen Fennick. Uh, thanks to the good people at Netgear, netgear.com.au. G'day, Stephen. Hello, Trevor. How are you going? Very well, mate. Uh, we have uh, a fair bit to get through this evening, so let's not hold back. Let's go at full pace into Two Blokes Talking Tech. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. First conversation I think we need to have is about Microsoft. Now, this is a very important time of year for Microsoft, or very important time for Microsoft, because they have a lot going on, especially in Australia, with the Microsoft Store opening on the 12th and on that same day making available a bunch of new products. Um, we now have pricing for the two critical products, the Surface Book, which is a laptop, tablet, kind of um, real convertible, and then the new Surface Pro 4. Now, the Surface Pro 3 was a stunning device. It was very good. Um, and had the ability to be spec'd really well up, you know, to your i7 style processors. But it had a, a real price issue. It was it was a serious laptop price as opposed to really competing at the tablet rate. And essentially, the Surface Pro Four is the same. It starts at thirteen forty nine and upwards. It goes from there. The laptop, mate. I think this is where the conversation lies. You know, the Surface Book laptop um, will start at two two nine nine, two thousand three hundred dollars essentially, which. Sounds steep at first look, for sure, but then I think it's critical to go, well, it's a big tablet that also connects to a really solid, proper laptop-style keyboard, which also gives you additional graphics and processing power. Mm. So there is some real benefits to that, but I don't know that people are going to spend that much time looking at those benefits. I think they're just going to go MacBook Pro or Surface Book. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, little question there. I think that uh, at this price, and this is the the price that you quoted there, the twenty two ninety nine, twenty three hundred, essentially is the entry level price. So it can go up from there if you want to go i seven. You want to put more RAM. It's going to go even higher than that. Now I've actually seen the Surface Book. Uh, I, I'm uh, I saw it. I, I had a bit of a play with it. Detached the screen. I've got to say it is a high high quality device. It is surprisingly good quality, the the whole craftsmanship, the construction, everything, the quality is there. So you can see where you're spending the money. Mm. Now, in terms of it being a competitor for the MacBook Pro, I think that's one thing. And there was a Microsoft briefing last week where they kind of sort of put them up against each other, a little bit of a, a gadget smackdown. And the MacBook Pro, uh, sorry, the, the Surface Book, uh, outshone it in a few areas, including screen resolution. The size of the screen is a 13.5 inch. Also, I know Mac has a Apple has a 15 inch, which is more expensive than the Surface Book. But it also demonstrated the fact that the 
the tablet component of this, so you've got to remember the screen's detachable, and all the all the guts of the of the computer are actually in the screen. Yeah. So there's your processor, there's a battery, uh, so it can work independently, of course, to for the keyboard base. Once it's connected to the keyboard, there's another battery or your USB ports, and because all the all the electronics are in the screen. It's not going to warm up on your lap. I'm sure anyone who's used a MacBook or any other laptop, for that matter, they can. If it's using it on your on your lap, it does tend to get a little bit warm. The Surface Book's not going to do that. And they, yeah. were, they took a lot of time to demonstrate the fact that this is a convertible device. It can be uh, the screen can be detached and then turned around and put back on itself as like a little writing surface. They had a photographer there showing his workflow with it and being able to draw on the screen. That's another advantage over the MacBook that it has a touch screen. So if if anyone argues with the price, I think Microsoft's first response is, but look what you get for your money. And and I don't disagree with that. And I think the great thing is that the most savvy of buyers, and that's why the most savvy of tech people are loving what they're seeing with this, because side by side, we know the comparison's good. But it can can Microsoft have over overall an overwhelming success with a product that on face value to the people, you, you you look at an Apple store, right? And you watch the people that are walking in there just, you know, playing with a laptop. They're, they're feeling it, they're looking at it, and they're looking at the price. They're, they're not looking at the pixel resolution of the screen. They're going to be impressed by the screen coming off, but I don't, yeah, so it's a really interesting one for me at the, the grassroots level, um, not at the, you know, the, the uh, mm. enthusiast level, because I think people like us know that this is actually not a bad price. I just worry that it's not a good enough price to get them, the the wow factor in terms of the the ticket price. Yeah, I, I think the customer for the Surface Book. We'll, we'll talk about the Surface Pro four in a sec. The Surface Book customer, I think, is not your your mums and dads and, and uni students that are going to walk in and buy this. I think these are it's it's actually aimed at stealing customers from Apple, like all your creative types, your graphic designers, your photographers, videographers, those sorts of creatives who and, and Microsoft admitted this themselves who were. Apple customers, because that's just what you did mm. back then. Now, Microsoft, I think, are trying to pinch a little bit of that market share with this type of product. And turning to the Surface Pro 4, the question that I ask is, well, the, the Surface Pro 4 kind of does what this does. It's got a detachable screen. It can be used as a tablet. It does have a, it doesn't have a solid keyboard, a solid keyboard base that the Surface Book does. It has a slightly smaller screen. You can still write on the screen though. So I think that, that that's my issue with these the pricing and the the products themselves is that there's very little separating them. I think there there's not enough of a of a difference of a distinction between the two uh, in terms of pricing and, and just the mm. actual what they can do to differentiate them clearly. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree, and I think that what the strategy here is that for people that are uh, um, are have bought into the ecosystem, not that it's as much of an ecosystem as Apple, you'd have to admit, but people yeah. that have maybe had an original Surface, now got a Surface Pro 3, how do you get them to keep staying in the Surface market? Yes, they could be convinced that a Surface Book is ideal for them as well, but why not just keep them in the market with an, an updated version of what they've got because they love it? And then yep. try and sell to a new market or the the market that wants this, you know, weirdly convertible laptop thing. So I think it's smart, assuming that it's obviously business logical to to have yeah. this many products. Although I have to admit, and I've said it already, the Surface Book 
is a very impressive product. When yeah. you see it and when you get your hands on it, you that use hinge. it. It is very, very impressive. And, and hence the reason why let, let's talk about the store, the store opening. The timing is brilliant. The timing uh, of the store opening is the day that these products actually go on sale. And that's the whole idea of this flagship store is for, like we see with Apple stores, for customers to get in there, get their hands on the products, experience them, learn a little bit about them, and then hopefully that'll convert them to a buying customer. Mm. Uh, I think look, it's not going to be a, a huge, uh, like uh, an entry-level product. It's not going to be a bread and butter product, let's mm. say, for Microsoft. This is going to be a very specialized product, the Surface Book. But I have to say they've really done a good job in, the, in terms of design, uh, versatility, and the the whole way it was built with all, all, the, all the, the, the guts of the computer in the screen rather than in the base. It, it's very cleverly done. They've even got a special locking system that you press a button on the keyboard and it, it detaches the screen. It lifts off really nicely. So once people see it, I think they're going uh, to really like it. And look, the other product uh, worth quickly mentioning is the the Microsoft Band Two, which they will finally sell in Australia at the at the Sydney store again. But three hundred and seventy nine bucks, mate. I know it's a solid band because it's you know got a, got a touch screen and all that. But geez, yeah. it's a high price to be competitive in the fitness band market. It is, is it ever? Yeah, I know. I think uh, Microsoft have really positioned the, these products as premium products, just going by the pricing. It does do a little bit more, and yeah, that screen is is quite impressive. I think it, it's going to do uh, – it's way more than just, say, like a jawbone or a Fitbit. Mm. This is kind of like proper smartwatch-type capability here with a decent-sized screen on it. Uh, it is available, though, they've said, in limited quantities from the store only. I don't mm. think you can buy that online. So uh, if you're at the Pitt Street Mall next week, the 12th of November, they're going to open the store at midday. And they're also going to, Trevor, and you'll be interested in this, oh, yeah, they're having a special concert uh, to celebrate the opening of Microsoft. Now, Jess, Jesse, <laughs> not, not Johnny oh, Farnham, okay. Jesse J, uh, the woman who was uh, the British singer from, she was also on the Australian version of The Voice this year. Mm. She's doing a special performance at the State Theatre, 7 p.m. on the 12th, and they are giving the 750 tickets away to the first people, to those people who are into the store first. So they have said that the people, customers will be allowed to line up from 10 p.m. the night before to ensure they get their tickets. Do you think we're going to see an Apple-like line around the block for the Microsoft Store? Here's my problem, and I won't lie. I've never heard of Jessie J. I've just Googled her. <laughs> Gee, that's a shock. I've just, I've just Googled her, and I've never, I don't, I don't recognise her. Um, but the smart thing about Microsoft is the first Google AdWords result is Jessie J Concert Microsoft Store. But um, so, yeah, I, see, I'm not going to say no, they're not going to get a crowd, because I have no idea how big this woman is, because, you know, I know it's a complete tangent, but we did this this uh, outside broadcast down at um, uh, Circular Quay with all the radio stations in Sydney. And, you know, uh, all the big radio stations were there. No big crowds or anything until the, st- the station I worked for, SBS Pop Asia, right? We had some boy band or something from China or, or Korea. And, mate, there was thousands of kids came along. So <laughs> you can be blown away by the crowds for these people, even though I've never heard of them. So, yeah, they'll probably smash it. They'll probably get a massive crowd. And, um yeah. My, my concern, though, is it's all well and good to have a crowd, but, uh, you know, handing out a ticket, but do 
I mean, the people that actually want the Microsoft product, are they going to be standing there with a bunch of people who don't want to even look at the products and just want the tickets? So when yeah, they get inside that, the store... A, that's a really good point. I think that you, Microsoft would like to think that people are going to be lining up to get their hands on the Surface Book or the yeah. Surface Pro 4. Hmm. That's what that's what they, uh, they're hoping, putting on a concert and offering tickets to the first 750 people through the door. Uh, that's uh, that's another thing altogether. It's it's certainly something that Apple would never do. They never have that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah yeah exactly. That, if you that were, kind if, of uh, I won't. It's not quite bait and switch, but it's more <laughs> okay. We've got this concert. There's free tickets if you come to the store. Uh, it, it's it's not the same as that, but I, I think there will be a crowd. I, it, the, the, it is uh, it is quite a big store. It is the first flagship store outside of North America. So Sydney, that's it's quite an honour for Sydney to have a store of this size. It's a two level store. There is a rendering of the store on my store on Tech Guide there. So it, it does look like an interesting store and yeah. uh, plenty of space in there to get hold of all those new products. Heaven help the person that's seven hundred and fifty first in line that actually. <laughs> It, that is both keen to buy the the Surface Book Pro or Surface Book, Book whatever it's called, and is a Jesse J fan. Yeah. What, what if you reckon you, there's a lot of those people that cross over? Those but what if there was just fans? one? What if there was just one and they were 751st in line and the people in front of them <laughs> got all the tickets and then didn't buy a product? You'd be filthy. Well, maybe they can scalp them to them. Might be a business opportunity there. My tip to Pip Marlowe <laughs> is to have a couple of tickets in your pocket for that person because yeah. if they're willing yeah. to spend two grand on your computer sight unseen, uh, well, and give them a ticket, will you? So <laughs> I thought I thought Microsoft should have offered the tickets to people who actually buy a product. Yeah, that 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 would be a bit embarrassing for them. I'm you not think sure. So? I'm not well, you don't sure. think seven hundred and fifty people will buy something to get Jesse J tickets? Is that too much of an ask, you think? Oh, I think it might be. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Okay. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, go on the Twitters and uh, follow us both uh, at Trevor Long and at Stephen Fennick with a PH and use the hashtag Ziggy Zaggy to tell me how crazy I am for not knowing who Jesse J is and also <laughs> whether you would line up or whether you would and buy tell us, something. Yeah. Whether tell you us would if you're buy a Jesse something. J fan and if you are lining up, that'd be good to know. Two blokes talking tech. Well, Samsung has entered the high-end audio market. Their new R-series wireless 360-degree speakers went on sale this week. Now, these are circular speakers. They incorporate Samsung's proprietary technology, this ring radiator technology that uh, that fires down into the subwoofer and spreads the music uh, in all directions to give everyone a nice uh, a nice uh, listen to the music. It sounds just as good anywhere in the room. Now, this product is the first or one of the first that has come out of the new audio labs that Samsung have set up in Los Angeles and I was actually lucky enough to visit those audio labs and listen to these speakers a few months ago and I've got to say they've gathered quite a team of people there uh, more than 200 years of combined experience audio engineers just absolute audio boffins that work for them uh, Samsung putting their hand up in this high-end audio market I think the challenge here is Samsung now want to be recognized as a high-end audio brand to compete with the the Boses and the Sennheisers and all these other big-name companies. Uh, but at first listen, these R-series R speakers, I've got to say, are very, very good speakers. Yeah, and look, the, you can't deny that Samsung have got a bunch of cash and therefore they can not only recruit but, uh, but spend on R&D 
on the labs, on the on the quality, the build, and the design, because these things look great. Um, so you know they are competitive in the world of Sonos and Bose, um, but the challenge for Samsung is actually not creating the sound, because that's that is actually probably step two. Um, it's chicken and egg stuff, really. It's it's getting people to appreciate that Samsung can make quality audio. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing is to get people to actually stand somewhere and experience it, and get other people to then use word of mouth to say how amazing it is. Because you know, three hundred and sixty is not a not a new feature to to Samsung to to the world of audio through Samsung. You know, UE's been talking about that with their boom. You know, there's been a lot of people talking about three hundred and sixty concepts. So can they pull it off better than everyone else? Can they match them like for like in sound? And therefore, what is the killer app? What is the thing that gets them over the line? And it could well be the integration with your smartphone, your smartwatch, and those things. Oh, I don't know. And your, t- and your TV as well. It's yeah. They did say that the, the, these are obviously compatible with your, with a smart TV, and even more so if it's a Samsung smart TV. Mm. That, for example, they could be used, a couple of these R-series speakers, they can be combined as a left and right pair, like like other brands, like Sonos and other brands. Yep. Uh, they can be used as actually rear speakers. If you've got a sound bar or just out of the TV, sound coming out of the TV, they can be used as rear speakers as well. But I should point out that uh, in in those audio labs, they do uh, a lot of blind testing. And I I actually participated in a blind test where they have the Samsung speaker among a group of five high-end speakers. And in that result, Mm. Samsung came a very close second uh, to out of the five in our our listening test. And the, the speaker that actually beat it was a speaker that cost about five times as much. Right. So it did. It did really punch above its weight. It did hold its own in that group, and they've spent a lot of money. That anechoic chamber that they do their audio testing in there. They've also got, uh, and I think this is a world first, an anechoic chamber for their televisions and sound bars. Because mm. you have to remember that that that's, that's bread and butter of, Sam, of Samsung's business is their TV. And they did let us hear the difference between last year's TV and this year's TV, and it was like night and day in terms of audio quality. Right. They've really nailed that as well, and that's going to really put them at a competitive advantage, having these sorts of type of resource at their disposal. And I think, mate, it's only a matter of time, and as you said, they've got plenty of money to spend on marketing. It's only a matter of time where Samsung Sound is their kind of sub, sub-brand yep. is going to be hitting uh, – but duking it out amongst all those premium brands. Very good stuff. You can uh, you can see those speakers and Stephen's thoughts at uh, his website, techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. And we do it all each and every week. Thanks to the good people at netgear, netgear.com.au. You can uh, visit their website to see the details about the Nighthawk X4X, for X4S, for example. This is a VDSL and ADSL modem. Now, why that's important is because VDSL is the technology utilized by fiber to the node technology with the NBN. So Netgear is really ramping up getting ready for NBN connectivity across the country. Um, this has got everything. It's got AC connectivity for your wireless. It's got MU, MIMO, quad stream technology. It's got everything you could name with regards to wireless technology. Um, it's, it's all about smoother streaming and gaming because there are people in your home that are degrading your network because of what they're doing. So create separate networks. Use dynamic quality of service and actually get the quality of Wi-Fi that you want and expect from your modem. The Netgear Nighthawk X4S is available now, and you can check it out at netgear.com.au.
Well, this was an interesting press release. I mean, you know, sometimes I ignore the odd press release because you just go, oh, yeah, whatevs. Um, <laughs> but when I <laughs> I got an email this week, it was, I don't know, it was kind of in the morning too. It was a weird time. Yeah, it was 10.30 in the morning. Uh, good morning. Please find a link to an Optus Media release issued today. Um, and it was all about the English Premier League. The <laughs> Optus have won the rights to the English Premier League broadcast. So now this is this is not as simple as it might sound. Telstra have owned rights to things. Optus have owned rights to things. Lots of different companies own rights to things in the sporting fields. But as someone who works in the media and, and has d- dealt in broadcast rights for things like the Olympics and the World Cup, this is a very big deal because it's not it's not a broadcaster that now currently owns the television, the broadcast rights to a huge sporting event like the English Premier League. Now, let's be clear, it's not the AFL, it's not the NRL, it's not the Olympics, and it's not the World Cup. So it's not in the top four. But it's remarkable for a couple of reasons. One, because they did it just stealth. I mean, no one knew it was coming. Secondly, because it basically is the first stepping stone towards a very interesting five years ahead for for sporting rights. And it says to the AFL, to the NRL, to the IRC, to everyone, who are you talking to? Now, how this works is, you know, um, the Premier League says our rights are available as of October, uh, August 2016. Fox Sports goes and sees them, be in that, that kind of newly named network, goes to see them, and, and they make a bid, and they say, well, we'd like to buy the television rights for 50 million bucks. Uh, and then uh, the EPL say to them, well, yeah, but what about the digital and the, the mobile rights? And they go, oh, we'll give you $5 million for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they might on-sell those to, to Telstra Optus because they don't want them. Or in these days, Foxtel might hold on to them because of their Go app and stuff like that. But then Optus goes in, hi, Mr. EPL, um, and they go, we'd really be interested in the mobile and digital rights. And the EPL go, yeah, mate, listen, um, we're, we're just doing one deal here. We're just going to do one deal with for Australia. And Optus goes, right, yeah, we'll give you $70 million, or whatever the number is. And they go... Yeah, right, top bidder. And it's shocking. It's stunning. And the question now is, as I end my editorial, the question now is, what are they going to do with it? Because they have two very clear options. They, they do amazing coverage on mobile, tablet, online, everything, and they on-sell. So they give Foxtel the rights or be in the rights for a you know, huge sum of money, and they, they win back some of their cash, and it, and it still ends up on Foxtel. Or they completely um, freeze out the television networks, and yeah. they only make it available via an app, via a Fetch TV or an Apple TV app, you know, a, you know, a bunch of different ways yeah. so that people on their big screen can still watch it, but only if you're an Optus customer or you pay a certain fee. This is huge. Yeah, it is. And I think uh, it is, we should point out is for the Australian rights to the Premier League. It's for three seasons, not starting till next year. The EPL season, new season will kick off in August next year. So... It's not going to start till then, and it includes, it's not just the digital rights. That's what surprised me. It's not just digital rights for broadband and mobile. It's also the live broadcast coverage as well. So is it going to come through Fetch TV? Because Optus have got a big play with Fetch TV, give people another reason to, to adopt Fetch TV or attach Fetch TV to their Optus plan. It's a no-brainer that it's going to be pushed out to the mobile platforms, tablets, to to your smartphones as a five buck a month kind of deal like Telstra used to give you five bucks Foxtel to, you get Foxtel on your on your mobile for five bucks a month it's going to happen like that that that's not in dispute at all it's going to be how they handle the broadcast coverage how creative they get with that broadcast coverage where it's going to go 
it's a, it's definitely going to go through Fetch TV, no doubt about it. Now, who, whoever they do deals with, I think Optus, very smart of them to put themselves in a position where they've got a product that other people want and they're going to make money not only through their digital rights but also how they handle the live broadcast rights as well. And EPL, you, you mentioned before, it, yeah, I know it's not NRL, I know it's not cricket, it's not gridiron, NFL or any of that, but there are a lot and I just mean a lot of English Premier League fans, soccer fans in general in Australia. I remember when I was sports editor of the telly, we didn't have enough soccer coverage. We'd we'd get twenty phone calls. Oh, they're Any nuts, sport, mate! Every no, you, don't, you don't hear boo. Every soccer day, fans are passionate. Every day at a radio station across Sydney, there is some narc ringing up at seven a.m. Game. Why didn't you give the English Premier League score, um, mate? Because no one else cares except you. But I know it's a lot <laughs> of people, but it's not. Like, you know, the games don't even rate in the top ten on Foxtel. So we're talking. A hundred thousand or less. It's not. I mean, it's massive for the big games, but it's not ongoing massive. Now, you made a point about Fetch. I don't disagree. It will be on Fetch, but remember, Fetch is a separate company. It's a separate box. But the reason Fetch will, you know, move heaven and earth to help them make it available as a channel is because can you imagine that the banner ads now a Fetch um, plus Optus equals English Premier League, or you know, they're they're, they're currently doing that with Netflix. Now, that that won't be exclusive. They won't only do it there. But the the killer is right. It's all well and good to have the rights to something as a as a television broadcaster because you have all the infrastructure to even just push it out uh, game after game after game. So because the English Premier League is is quite a rostered thing on on a certain night you can have game after game after game. But yeah, that's right. you've got to have the playout facilities to create a a channel, right? A channel that people can tune into. That's what they'll need to do. So it's a very interesting time and and basically Telstra will be filthy, but they'll be also watching this very closely to see how they handle it and how it goes because Telstra, Telstra got the NRL. Don't forget they got the NRL. Yes, but the Telstra AFL, don't. So they're have, sitting pretty in terms of sporting, sporting wise. But Telstra do not have the broadcast rights to those things. So yeah, Optus true, true. is now able to set the scene, set the scene for Australians to realise how the future will be. So in 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 five years from now, um, the NRL might be negotiating an exclusive two billion dollar deal with Telstra to have all the rights, and Telstra might just create an app for every single box, Apple TV, Telstra TV, every single box that is just called the NRL app, and you've got to pay mm. 10 bucks a month, and, you know, 500,000 people pay 10 bucks a month, they're getting their rights back. So it's a very interesting future. That I that, can't see Channel 9 doing that, mate. I can't see David Gingell letting that happen oh, in the NRL, in the case of the NRL. That's my point, is all of those companies now need to, yeah. need to rethink what is standard. I'm telling you right now, mate, there is no one, in the broadcast space that thought a telco would get the broadcast rights absolutely. to the EPL. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, in in terms of the NRL, uh, that's a hot property. Telstra's already involved. And you, we, we, we spoke about Channel 9 and how they're going HD and they've got the streaming channel. So I think they're preparing to bed that down as well. So they they want to they want to cover it all like a tarpaulin as well. They want the lot. Well, mate, I'm sure if they just, have the I think Telstra still have the digital rights. Channel 9 have the broadcast rights, but Channel 9 would love to lock all that up. But Channel they 9 would love to do it. See, this as is the with thing. Telstra. Channel remember remember Dave Smith got the R from the NRL because he stuffed up the deal. Channel 9 have got too much rights. They de- Telstra don't have the same level of digital rights. Channel 9 is going to stream games next year. So it's huge. And you just go to the Facebook page of Foxtel, right? I just I just had a quick look, and there's one comment. Congratulations on losing the EPL and mine, as well as any other subscription to Foxtel. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, yeah, people it's are a, Well, it's filthy. a deal breaker, isn't it? There's a lot of people who know they, they, they're prepared to pay the money 
to have that access to that kind of sport. Like, look, for me, if, if Foxtel didn't broadcast the NRL live every day, every game or whatever, I would think twice about even having Foxtel. Mate, if they don't broadcast the Formula One, I'm gone. I'm out. There you go. See, that's 100%. how close we are to it. That's right. And it is a deal breaker mm. for some for some people, as as that comment illustrates. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting times in the in the world of sport and the world of broadcasting in a whole bunch of places. You are listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. And Two Blokes Talking Tech is supported by Dropbox, trusted by eight million Australians to keep their files safe, synced. And easier to share with anyone. Australian companies such as Bauer, Media Group, Campaign Monitor, Shoes of Prey, Bellroy, Suntory. These companies use Dropbox for business to help their team members work together, no matter where they are or whatever tools they use. So you can get your whole team on a Dropbox for business today and keep your information easy to manage and secure with a 30-day free trial. You can try for free at dropbox.com slash business. And remember that it's familiar to your users. Your, Your staff are probably using Dropbox at home. Therefore, they'll know how to use it when you implement it at work. And the great thing is you have administrative tools so that the the data is kept. You've got rights control over the users. It's a very strong corporate product. Dropbox for Business is what it's called. And you can try it now. 30-day free trial at dropbox.com slash business. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. So... I um I had a guest on Your Tech Life this week, and uh, he was the CEO of Amazim. And I said to him, because I recorded on on, America, on, a, on Melbourne Cup Day, uh, I said, I've got the trifecta. I've picked the trifecta. I've had Ruslan Kogan, the CEO of Kogan Mobile. I've had a bloke who's the, the CEO of Boost Mobile. I've had the, the CEO of Amazim three weeks in a row, because, mate, we're still talking about low-cost mobile, because Amazim have now gone, rightio, you want it? You want a deal, do you? And they've added a gig of data to their plan. They've they've reduced plans. They've done a lot of work here to now add value to their plans because they've got yep. seven hundred and eighteen thousand customers. Um, and I don't know what percentage of them are on these unlimited plans. I personally think it's probably like forty percent, maybe fifty percent, and the rest of them are on those kind of minute as you go plans. But it's still a huge number of people that, for an extra, you know, gig a gig a month, are going to be very, very happy. And I, I think this is a clear sign that this low cost sub fifty dollar mobile phone market is strong. Yeah, absolutely. I think sub forty dollar market is what we're talking here. They've they've put their their unlimited plan, their unlimited five gig plan is now under forty. It is thirty nine ninety now. You get five gig for under forty bucks. So that's Optus four G coverage. Uh, the, at the top end there, you got now eight gig a month for forty nine ninety five, and that, that's a that's even five dollars cheaper than the previous uh, unlimited. Their, their top of the line plan we had a seven gig uh, allowance as well. Uh, of course, data is at the centre of this. The competition is fierce in this market, hence the reason why Amazim, who is one of the original companies to come up with a SIM-only yeah. plan, kind of the, the first outsider, if you like, to challenge the telcos to, hey, you know what, you don't have to be with the big telcos. I think they started around, was it in 2009, 2010, where Amazim came into the market and sort of the, their whole spiel was that, you know, there is a choice. You do have a choice now. Uh, SIM-only plans, it was kind of a new thing. So Amazim are protecting their turf here. They've 
they they've kind of started this started this whole trend and with with upstarts like Hogan Mobile and now you got Labara Boost Mobile coming into the fray as well i think there's so much choice now for customers and it it's it's now the the amount of data you can get for that under $40 mark compared to as, as like even just a year ago is absolutely amazing the the, the difference in data now so much more so much more bang for your buck yeah i'm just um I'm really pleased, I guess, that we've got this competition. It's not like it didn't exist, but it's just on the forefront again. And I think that's because the reason I say under 50 is because basically the big telcos, the big three, one and ARPU, an average revenue per user per month to be higher than 50. They want the $60, $70 mark. And these guys, Amasim, Boost and and Kogan and others, uh, are quite happy to have 30 and 40. And that's where they're angling. So... It's good that we've yep. got the competitiveness. It's good that we're talking about it. And, uh, you know, about time too. I feel like we had an 18-month well, yeah. uh, period where it was a bit of a lull for people to get deals. Yeah. I think what people are doing now with, with the, the, the such competitive pricing for SIM-only plans, I think people are now thinking thinking twice about their, or not well, giving more thought to at least, the outright purchase of a device. Uh, I, I think that a lot more people are doing the sums they're thinking, well, if I do spend all that money now on a phone, at least I can get a small plan. Gives them a bit more flexibility because these are month-to-month plans. There's no yep. contracts involved here. So you can go month-to-month. So I think that's really going to have an effect on the market. The the pricing of, of handsets, uh, of smartphones, the dollar's not doing us any favours. The iPhone's an example where you can't buy an iPhone for under $1,000, an iPhone 6S at least. You can't buy it under 1000 bucks. But there are some... Uh, some other really uh, some some great choices there that offer great value for money, like companies like Alcatel, OneTouch, uh, Huawei, all these companies that are making you know Motorola that are making these affordable yet high quality devices. I think that people may choose to opt for those sorts of devices, knowing that they can pick up a cheap SIM uh, SIM only plan month to month. It's give them give, give them plenty of data. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty cool stuff, and uh, you can check out all those new plans at techguide.com.au. Two blokes talking tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, it was Melbourne Cup Day uh, yesterday. We we're recording on a Wednesday night here, in, uh, in all the race that stops a nation was run on the Tuesday, and I gave my usual donation to the TAB. I know they've been struggling; <laughs> they need my money, so uh, didn't win anything. So. But what I was doing before the race, I was looking for some tips. I was looking for some uh, someone to give me some uh, some good mail on who was a chance of winning the Melbourne Cup. And one of those one of those places that I did look and actually wrote about it on Tech Guide was actually Microsoft. They have they use Bing Predicts. We know Bing is their search engine assistant type uh, type software. There, they have a, a thing called Bing Predicts, where it takes all the data, crunches all the numbers takes into account things like track conditions and anyway took all that information and came up with who they thought were going to be the top six place getters Mm. now before we go into the actual how how well or poorly they did go we should point out that bing predicts has actually got pretty decent form in the past for example it predicted the accuracy of 76% of last season's AFL matches. Mm. It even got right 87% of the World Cup matches, the wow. Rugby World Cup matches. So going in, you think, yeah, they're pretty good numbers. But the Melbourne Cup, though, 
it's a whole whole other story. We know, of course, the the fairy tale fa- fairy tale finish for Prince of Penzance, Michelle Payne, first female jockey to win the cup, a hundred to one shot. You can't believe that. Well, anyway, have a look at who Bing predicted. Trip to Paris was their top pick, followed by United States preferment, excess knowledge, our Ivanhoe, and Criterion. I think the closest they got was fourth with Trip to Paris. I think uh, Preferment was maybe in the top 15. Criterion ran okay. The others, I think they're still going. Look, the thing about that is I don't discount the fact that they they got it wrong. But, mate, open the form guide and find me out of all the unbelievably qualified racing experts who live their (laughs) life by this garbage – They've got it completely wrong, mate. There was there was yeah. tipsters that basically said this thing could have a hundred meter head start. It wouldn't even finish the race. I mean, it basically, yeah. it was written off. If you read the tips, there's no way you put money on. So it really just proves. And I know that. And let me be very clear. I know the tipsters do very well on the weekends because it's a different thing. The the Melbourne Cup is a very different race, run over a very different distance with so many other variables given the international calibre of the horses and a whole range of things. But that's the reason why on this one day, the day that stops a nation, it should be the day that we stop reading the punters form the the, <laughs> the tips. Really. Well, one thing one thing with Bing and what it didn't take into account. It didn't take into account, and no, no computer, no, no machine can understand this. Is just the human spirit, you know, that never say die, mm. dedication, and this is what this was. I think there was just belief. Belief is what you can't measure, and that's that's why Bing fell down here. That's something that this race, it, it, they're going to make a movie about this one day. The mm. whole story, yep. you know, she was orphaned, or her mother died when she was six months old, you know, Michelle Payne, first female jockey. She says, look, this is a really male chauvinistic sport. You know, if you don't think women can do it, you can get stuffed. It's got everything. she got Down syndrome, younger bro- brother who was the strapper, older brother actually who's the strapper. It, it had everything. Yeah, and that's something that a machine can't pick. That's right. You, a machine can't pick a fairy tale, God damn it. And that's when we'll know that artificial intelligence is real, when a machine can predict a fairy tale, and it won't happen in our lifetime, let me be clear. Um, so, uh, yes, good luck being on next year's Cup. Uh, I won't be taking your advice or any of the experts in the field. You are listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long all right, a couple of things quickly before the minute reviews, which I just everyone's hanging on to. I get emails. Can you do them earlier in the show? Uh, the two-minute reviews, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, the Apple TV. Now, it's it's. I'm I'm glad it's about. We talked last week about the pricing. Uh, the bottom line here is that it's an unbelievable product that has better potential than any other set-top box on the market for a very simple reason. A their interface, B, Siri, and C, uh, Universal Search. If the apps that are built for the Apple TV correctly interface the Universal Search, so for example, um, SBS On Demand, uh, which will be out before Christmas, if that is correctly interfaced so that when you say, hey Siri, find me TV shows featuring Hitler, well, clearly documentaries (laughs) from SBS are going to come up on the screen, um, that that is unbelievably game-changing because I, in fact, I, I did an interview today with some uh, someone doing an article on the weekend about, you know, changing habits in television. And I said, biggest issue right now is you can have Stan, you can have Netflix, you can have Presto. But if you just want to watch Crocodile Dundee, 
which one do you open up? You've got to open them all to find it. And then it's no guarantee it's going to be there. So yep. the ability to pick up a remote control and not even have to hold it in your hand, just just talk and say, hey, Siri, find me movies featuring Paul Hogan. And she's there for you, man. This is cool. Yeah, it is. I agree. I think that's a real game changer. The whole uh, the Siri controller, the whole interface, the being able to – the old Apple TV, which is still for sale, by the way. You can still buy the old Apple yeah. TV. It is a bit clunky compared to this. You've got to be t- clicking around the menus and trying to t- do your searches, and it, it is a bit cumbersome. The new one is a revelation. I think the whole the trackpad on the on the remote really handy, but being able to talk to it and that, that's only going to improve. I think that that the Siri interface, the voice control, is only going to get better. And you got to remember as well. Not only can you use Siri to search for programs, movies, apps, and things like that, but even during a movie. It is so useful as well. And what I like is that you can tell it, okay, go forward five minutes, go backwards 20 minutes, go back to the beginning. Or as is always the case, people often, they miss, they can't hear quite what the person said. And rather than whispering to the person, what did he say? (laughs) You say that to Siri and it will go back 15 seconds, replay that little section and put captions on the screen so you don't miss it a second time. So you can actually read what was said as well. Assuming assuming the app, the content and everything has been developed with captions in mind. That's the, see what I mean about it's, it can fall down where uh, a piece of content doesn't have that. And people are, yeah, it'll work on the iTunes content, but if you're using a different app, so that's, there's huge upside to the Apple TV and I want people to have it, own it and understand it as a four year vision, as opposed to being, it should work this way now. Um, if you do that, you are in for an absolute yeah. treat. But let, let's talk about the downside, though. There, there are some cons with this. It isn't cheap. It's quite expensive. Two sixty nine is the entry price, and there is memory now on board because you're going to be downloading apps and doing all kinds of things on this device. Two six nine, thirty two gig, three four nine, sixty four gig. Uh, not cheap. It's more than twice and three times more expensive than the previous model, but you do get a lot more for your money, so the value is still there. It doesn't support four K. Yeah. And you know, in in a in a in a market where sixty percent of all new TVs from the major manufacturers are four K UHD televisions, I think that may play against it as well. And the example I gave in my review was if I wanted to watch Netflix, for example, in four K, which I can do on my four K TV, I have to watch Netflix through the smart TV. If I was watching Netflix through Apple TV. On, on my if it's connected to my 4k TV mm. it will only give me HD so that that's a that's another little little downside of that as well so if you've got a 4k TV and you've got a Netflix account you're gonna watch, you're gonna want to watch 4k so you'll be probably watching Netflix through the smart TV itself rather than through Apple TV these are the things that uh, that may hold it back in some areas hopefully the next version which whenever that will be will support 4k as well Interesting times, uh, and uh, a full review of the wonderful new Apple TV, despite its price, is at techguide.com.au. Now, I did something a few weeks ago, Trevor, that I, I don't normally do. I went along to a workshop. I was invited by the Energy Network Association uh, and the CSIRO, and they were having a workshop on what they were calling the Electricity Network Transformation Roadmap. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, the grid is the grid. You turn your switch on and the light comes on. That's, that's what my perception of the grid actually was. Well, 
I did learn after that uh, little workshop that there is a whole lot more to it than that and the fact that they are working now to change and evolve the grid, to make it smarter to cope with the changing needs of customers. Because you've got to think that here's us sitting in front of laptops and tablets and computers and all kinds of smart TVs and products. Our demands as customers have changed. We're using more electricity. We're using it in different ways. We've got smart homes. But at the same time, we're still powering the other traditional products that we've been powering for decades, like our fridges and our, our, our appliances and our washing machines and our heaters and, and air conditioners as well. So what we're seeing here is a transformation that they're saying that the grid, the whole perception of the grid is going to change. There'll be more change in the next 20 years than there has been in the last hundred years uh, and it is all through innovation through customers maybe taking up more solar panels local battery storage so rather than you have your solar panel you've got a battery in your house it stores that power to use in peak periods like morning and evening saves you a bit of money there it can even and this has got you written all over it yeah. it can even allow you to get almost completely off the grid and in be in a position where you'll be able to sell power back to the grid how do you like them apples mate i'm covering my joint with solar and i'm making cash but i'm setting the price that's the deal uh they can get my energy when they're prepared to pay for it i'm just going to store it i'm going to be like a doomsday preppers i'm just going to have batteries storing power until <laughs> until the some incident happens they're like we're running low on power and i'm just going to ring up and go well, sorry you want some power now do you you want some power do you no, it's very, it is very exciting. And, you know, we're not the only one that's going to have solar panels, by the way. The grid <laughs> is actually, uh, they've got a lot of renewable energy sources. They use solar, wind turbines, and they too have batteries in, in local communities to serve those communities as well. So that if, if it does happen to be a cloudy day, the solar energy that's been harnessed the day before when it was sunny is still there, can still be used on the grid as well. So it's a case now where the grid's getting smarter. They're working smarter, not harder to meet our needs. And it really, that whole workshop gave me a real appreciation into the work that's gone in. As simple as it is, when you flick that switch or plug in your product, the power's there 99.999% of the time. The work that goes into bringing that to you is quite significant. It's very interesting stuff. Stephen has uh, all the details about Hello Grid at techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. All right, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. And, man, we're going to kick this off with something that was a disappointment in my household because, you know, my kids don't understand that some things are just beyond them. You know, you just, some things don't, won't, won't be able f for them to do. And Guitar yeah. Hero Live is one of, one such thing. Remember, my kids are nine, five, and four. Yeah. I think um, they're a bit young. They're a bit young for me. They're a bit young, but mate, years. the idea of a, of a guitar that works with the PlayStation was overwhelmingly exciting to them. But unfortunately, it's not for kids. It's, it's amazing for teenagers and, and adults, but mate, a cracking game. And I loved, playing this game because of the live experience that it gave me standing on stage getting booed because I'm terrible. <laughs> well, Guitar Hero Live, it gets its name because of that. You are playing in front of a real audience. You can actually see uh, audience when you're standing up there on stage with your band members. And there are only two alternatives. You either suck or you're a genius. There's no in-between. You obviously didn't go too well, Trevor, so you got booed and your band members were telling you to get off stage and all those sorts of things. <laughs> but the whole challenge of the game 
is, well, obviously music is at the heart of it. You've got to hit the notes on the guitar uh, in time with the, the chords coming down the screen. So anyone who's played the previous Guitar Hero, it is slightly different. There's not just five coloured buttons now. It does actually play a little bit more like a guitar. So there's buttons, three buttons at the top, three buttons on the bottom, different chords that can be played. The other side of it is the, is the Guitar Hero TV, which allows you to play to music videos. So anyone who happens to be, say, watching you play can enjoy a music video while you're strumming and trying to keep up with the music. So that does give you another alternative. The thing is, though... The choices of songs in the in the live, you're sort of going through. You, you go, you get better. You sort of level up, and and you do different songs, different venues. With the lot, with the TV version, you do earn in-game currency. You can unlock music, but it's not unlocked forever. It's only unlocked for 24 hours. There's a huge variety, but after 24 hours, it kind of resets itself, and then you've got to earn them again. I think that's that's a that's pretty poor. They should allow you to at least keep some of those songs to play whenever you like. There is plenty of variety, so they can improve that. It's not too bad. Multiplayer, if, if your friend is over with a guitar, you can play together, uh, so you, you sort of have a little battle, but you can only play multiplayer mode on your own. So if there's a person with you in in your at your home, only one of you can play online against other people, not both of you at the same time. Mm. Guitar Hero Live is out now. I think it's $140. And you can get it for iOS. My goodness, how exciting. Guitar Hero Live, check it out at techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. All right, if you don't want to get the whole box and dice and fly a drone many miles into the air, we just want to have some fun, there's only one company to talk to, and that's Parrot. Yeah, the Parrot Mini Drones, uh, they're quite successful. These are really cool little products. And as you said, if you don't want to spend $1,000 plus on a proper photography drone, which the focus is you taking pictures rather than you zipping around and flying and having fun, just the sheer enjoyment of flying. These concentrate more on that sheer enjoyment of flying. It's a small product, very lightweight can be flown indoors and outdoors. It's controlled with your smartphone or your tablet, iOS and Android. There are several models. The model I wrote about in Tech Guide was the Parrot Airborne Cargo Drone. So it's got, got like a little Lego piece on top where you can put little bricks and a little man. Just You can't really carry anything very heavy, but it does kind of give it a little bit like you're carrying some cargo around. It's a little bit of fun. Now, the flight controls are really intuitive. It is very nimble. So you've got to, indoors, you've got to, there are some sensors, so you're not really crashing into a lot of things. So it is pretty nimble. So you want to sort of get your practice a little bit before you go outside. If you are going to go outside, I recommend you put the shield, the, the propeller shields on the outside. So those little bumpers, if you do happen to crash, it's not going to be too catastrophic. Mm. But you've got to be careful not to fly in too high. Like if it's a pretty breezy outside and windy, this thing could get away from you. You could lose it. So it's not the sort of thing that you do fly uh, at the beach and in high winds. That's more for your professional drones. This is for a bit of fun. The Parrot Mini Drone Range, this one in particular, the airport, Airborne cargo mini drone. It does have a camera too, I should add. Not a very good one. The pictures it takes are pretty average, but it is great to take pictures of the top of your head and of your pets if they happen to be running around <laughs> underneath as well. The uh, airborne cargo mini drone, $149. Check it out, techguide.com.au. Two blokes talking tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now, I know some of you are sitting in your car, in the car park, going, boys, I've been here for 10 minutes. All right, well, what, what's with the 40 minutes? journey turning into 50 
you know what? Taking 10 minutes in your life just to sit down and enjoy an extra 10 minutes of Two Blokes Talking Tech is our gift to you. That is what we are here for. At no extra cost. No, no, none. I mean, I'm not sending an invoice. Are you, Stephen? No, not at all. No, so we it's do on the it, house. We do it all proudly supported by Dropbox and uh, thanks to the good people at Netgear each and every week. Stephen, we'll be back next week. Yes, we will. And uh, looking forward to that already, Trevor. Episode 232. 232, in a tribute to the great and late Richie Benet. 